Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. This is the 296th episode. We are heading towards our seventh year, which will be November 1st. We have... 523,000 downloads and listens. So I can't tell you how happy I am that you're stuck with me all this time and the loyalty that you've shown. I really appreciate that. Uh, We've also won three podcast awards and have been nominated for another People's Choice Podcast Award. So how exciting that uh, we're still on the air. I guess podcasts have an average shelf life of seven episodes. And since we're almost at 300, I guess we're doing okay. So today I wanted the topic to really focus on something that I've been kind of buried in lately, and that are audits. So there are different kinds of audits. There's, you know, uh, compliance audits, there's uh, medical practice audits, you know, making sure that, that the EMR is consistent with what the physician is putting into the electronic health record. And then there are also back office audits, making sure that your medical assistants, your RNs, your LVNs, your LPNs, Uh, your mid-level providers that everyone's working consistently, obviously, to benefit the patient. And then there's what I do. And when we get into some of the things that I'm looking at, I'm looking at, as far as an external audit, typically coding audits, uh, kind of compliance when it comes to making sure that you're not missing frequency guidelines, things like that, or that you're not billing level five visits when it's really a a preventative service. I'm in the middle of an audit right now that everything is a comprehensive physical exam. And we know Medicare doesn't pay for that. Of course, 90% Medicare patients, there's a boatload of labs being ordered when there's no reason for it except for a baseline. And that's preventative. And I see a lot of level fives being billed there. So because there's so much change in the coding landscape today, efficient coding you know, is, is so crucial to making sure you're protected, you know, auditing a practice. And this is something that I'm finding that you, you not only need to do, but it's a necessary step in what healthcare organizations must do to remain compliant and profitable. So your organization could be struggling to properly and accurately evaluate its coding procedures. So you might want to take a step and seek out an independent entity entity to conduct regular external coding audits. Now, this is not a pitch, a commercial pitch for me. This is what I do, but this is something that you need to feel comfortable with who you're at. So this is just some things I want you to consider because a lot of people say, why would I do an audit? Just give me some checklists or some guidelines that I can take back to my providers so that they know what my plan is. So let me do that for you so you can understand how to present it. So you know, when you conduct monthly coding audits, or if you do them twice a year, once a quarter, what you're actually doing is, first of all, you're saving your organization a substantial amount of work, time, and money if you do it externally. They are expensive. They do cost some money, usually an average between, if we do per record price, between 40 to 100. It depends on who you use. But what it does above all else is you'll have the reassurance that your coders are maintaining high compliance standards and accuracy, that your providers are giving your coders what they need for these high high standards in coding, but also that the expert you use can tell you if there is a problem with 
uh, regulatory guidance? Are you, you know, in violation of anything? Uh, is there a problem with overutilization, as I mentioned labs before, or of certain codes? Do you have a flatline coding physician? Uh, are you actually capturing the right services that you're supposed to? I did an audit recently for a spine group. And there was a concern that the doctor was billing flatline level fours. So they had me look at 100 level fours. It turned out that 30% were actually should have been level fives and 20% should have been level threes. Now you're probably thinking that all comes out in the wash. Well, actually it didn't. They actually lost about $140,000 by not coding correctly. And so that's how I'm looking at not only an external audit when I perform them, but for me, it's it's very similar to the target probe and educate audits that are out there. Even though if you get a TPE audit from Medicare, uh, they're definitely targeting you and looking for something specific. But what I try to do is I try to incorporate not just the findings, but coding education, coding support, uh, making sure that you have that published guidance and standardization of policies so that you don't have to keep dealing with these challenges that happen sometimes with mergers, acquisitions, that happens with um, uh, practices that are now taking over another practice that have an, an kind of a never-ending addition of providers. I'm seeing that in a lot of practices, and it reminds me of, if you ever seen the TV show, um, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Every time Guy Fieri shows up at a restaurant, they now have a line out the door for people to show up and, and eat there. Well, sometimes they can't handle it, and actually, it's a good thing when they're thinking, oh my gosh, I got all this business, but it's a bad thing when they're not prepared to handle it. And some of those restaurants have had to close because they just got overwhelmed. And I know that it's tough sometimes when you are maybe providing internal audits within your practice, but internal audits, even though they're great, and I strongly recommend that you do monitor and, and really uh, keep an eye on what's going on. But internal audits also are usually done by employees and employees have a different stake in it where they don't want to upset the provider. They don't want to get the backlash of, you know, that's not that that's not what I'm going to do or I'm not doing it. And it also can also add to provider burnout. So, you know, sometimes internally where the execution of these audits internal become too monotonous or you get inaccurate results. Um, some providers have become too routine or complacent and we don't have a stake in that. All we want to do is see, are you coding correctly? We do focus mostly on the CPT codes, but we can also do the, the link to CPT to I-10. But we just want to make sure that as a subject matter expert, whether it be cardiology or gastro or ortho, you know, uh, primary care, telemedicine, I'm just kind of spewing what I do. But some of these things, you just want to make sure that you have somebody that can take all of these things into consideration without fear of a physician basically saying, no, I'm not going to do that. What we do is we try to use our expertise to not only re-educate and assist coders, but also present to physicians on ways to improve documentation. So it goes really beyond the auditing itself. And we try to pinpoint areas of concern that may be overlooked internally. So here's what we do, you know, trainer our training and coder development. So because coding is constantly changing, it's extremely important for every member of your coding team, your billers 
to change and grow with it. So no matter how seasoned your coders may be, continuous learning, sharpening your skills and developing new skills will ensure that your team performs at its best. I mean, we're competing right now with also AI services and AI um, platforms. So we have to make sure that as humans, we're doing the best we can to make sure there's consistency and compliance. So when you outsource your coding audits, again, what are you looking for? You want to make sure that there's, you know, we don't have the concern of any changes that may occur eternally within your organization. And we look at lawful regulations. We look at protocols. Again, we look at coding compliance and we make sure that the level of, it, of service that you submitted is accurate and we do retro and prospective audits and then also procedural audits, you know, um, making sure that what you set, submitted to the payer has the right modifiers on it, code linking, um, the right line items, things like that. And I have found so many errors uh, when it comes to things that have already been billed. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this could be definitely a problem. We also look at CDI improvement. So when we're looking at making sure we are identifying and improving some of those missed cases, recording errors, um, incorrect codes. So we're trying to look at what as a whole, not only are you compliant with your coding, billing and submissions, but also where are some opportunities for um, better compliance, education, coder development, physician understanding, and again, clinical documentation, uh, integrity improvement. So just a couple of things that I just wanted to mention because everybody always asks me, well, what, what are we, what should we be looking for within an audit? And a, an audit is really, you know, it's up to you. I mean, I, I had a payer recently say, well, we're going to do an audit in this practice and we'd like to know if you can assist. And I said, sure, let me see your checklist, what you look at. And it wasn't what, it wasn't what I was expecting. You know, the first thing they look at is the facility accessible to the handicapped under the pr provisions of the, uh, you know, ANSI, which is the American National Standards Institute for um, Disabilities. Is, is the waiting room clean, pleasant, professional appearance uh, with ample study, uh, sturdy sitting, sitting, oh my gosh, I'm tongue tied today. Can the receptionist protect the uh, public and patients from hearing, seeing protected health information, maybe a sliding glass window? Um, are the smoke alarms in place? See, I don't do that. <laughs> so when I was sitting there going, wait, that's not that's not an audit to me. They're like, well, that's a medical office audit from a payer perspective. And so it was just so interesting to me when I was, you know, looking at some of the things that um, defined a medical audit and what I felt was a medical audit and what they looked at was a medical audit was so different. I mean, I'm looking to make sure that are your are your patient information uh, standards good? You know how you how your workflows are. Um, obviously, correctly documented services coded and submitted. I, I already mentioned that. Um, do you use specified timeframes for submissions, or are you holding your claims instead of you know um, submitting them? And what's hold what's the holdup? And then. HIPAA guidelines. I'm always looking for that. And I actually, one audit I was recently doing, they put in, and this, you guys know, if you've been listening to my podcast for even a year, you know that I don't like the misspelling of the acronym HIPAA, H-I-P-P-A, no, it's H-I-P-A-A. So <laughs> Health Information and Portability and Accountability Act. So it's it's unfortunate when I see that because I think, okay, what else are they missing? What else are they non-compliant on? And it almost negates the record. 
So things like that is what people look at, or I should say what consultants look at when you're going outside of the your practice and, and grabbing an audit. So just kind of take a look at that. I'm not saying you have to do an outside audit, but it really goes a long way, especially if you feel like you're being checked on um, through any payer. Let's say that you're getting some frequent requests lately and you're trying to figure out, okay, um, what are they looking for? What what has been triggering them? Um, I know right now telehealth is a really big deal when it comes to audits. You know, um, one of the things that, that, that I had a big payer say, we have, you know, a thousand records for you to look at all telehealth during the pandemic. And they're looking at in what department locations is telehealth happening in the organization. That was the first one. What technology is being used? Uh, do you have a consent form? Those are the top three. And then they look at how are you authenticating the patient identity before service is rendered? Um, is telehealth consent form used for all payers and patients or just Medicare? And then one of the things they were looking at is do you have um, availability of telehealth for disabled patients? And most people don't, and you, you can't pr give telehealth or distribute it unless you do. You have to have somebody who can sign on the screen in an audio and video. You've got a deaf patient that wants a telehealth visit. You can't do audio only. And so um, these are the types of things that are being looked at and money's being taken back if you're not compliant. So understanding what an external audit can bring and how it can actually avoid burnout in your office, just make sure that you find somebody that is a subject matter expert in your specialty, you know, make sure that they, you know, they know what they're doing and ask for a reference if you want that. Um, also make sure that um, you know what how they're going to give you the results and what standards they're using and then I think you'll be okay. I would strongly urge you if you're doing internal audits to at least do one external just to see how well you match up against both because let's say that you do an external audit and then you do an internal audit and they're completely different. Also, you have to have a corrective action plan if you see any problems. So, you know, what audits really are, it's, it's an overall monitoring effort. It identifies area of non-compliance, and then now you're forming a basis of corrective actions. And so that's what Medicare audits do that I do. That's what payer audits, that's what physician audits should be. And if that's not your ultimate goal, instead of just finding money for the physician, I see them doing that all the time, then you're, you're heading in the wrong direction because the impact of an audit can also be helpful if, let's say that you do have a payer, whether it be um, Medicare, Medicaid, United Healthcare, whoever, and they see that you are responsible for ensuring that overall monitoring and oversight into your coding, billing, reimbursement, etc. And they see that you do what you have in your policies is mandated audits, not just internally, but ex externally, that can help you in the long run. So if you get an, an inquiry, you can say, well, we have an external auditor, this is what they found. And sometimes they'll say, oh, okay, so they have identified some of these situations and you have a corrective action plan. And then it'll ask, when did the physicians uh, get their education? And so that will be just really helpful to you as you move forward if you're considering um, hiring somebody to do an audit or you feel like you need it in your uh, practice. So my coding question today actually is a really good one. It was from uh, a a practice that had listened to my AAPC telehealth webinar in May. 
And she said, so we have a question um, that concerned us when you talked about uh, crossing state lines and how our physician has to be licensed in the state where the patient is when they provide service and in the state where the physician is at the time of the, the encounter as well. So they said, what if the patient leaves town either you know, out of state or out of country and they just need a refill of their medication and the doctor calls it in? There's no visit, no encounter. All it is is a refill. So that is considered part of continuity of care. That is not telehealth to refill medications because the patients forgot them or whatever. So let's say that they are in New Jersey and they go to Florida because it's cold and they forgot their medications. That can be called in by your doctor to one of their pharmacies down there. And that's not considered telehealth because there was no visit. As soon as they get on an audio only or an audio and video visit, now we've got a problem. So just the patient calling in going, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to pack my meds. Can they recall them in for me? That's not considered telehealth. That's okay continuity of care. Now, if you're out of country, so I know that I have some friends right now that are traveling through Italy, um, and let's say that they forgot their blood pressure medication, and the do- and they fand- found a ph- pharmacy in Italy that'll call it in. You have to pay cash for it because um, there's no reimbursement for anything out of country for Medicare. If that's the plan you're on, you'd have to check with your other commercial plans. Um, but again, this that's not considered telehealth, so you're fine. So just know that that's okay. All right, everyone, it's been great to spend some time with you this week. I look forward to talking to you next week when we do do our Top 10 Tuesday. And I hope you make it a great day. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music.